The Bible reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 to chapter 2 verse 10. And if you have a church Bible, it's on page 947. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This was the word of the Lord. You need one of these, Helen. Let's, oh, if you want to give it to one of those guys, thanks. Uh, it's an amazing passage. We are working through the book of Ephesians, which has got lots of good truths for us, as Ben mentioned before. It teaches us many ways how we are shaped by grace. But first we need to understand what that grace is to be shaped by it. And that's what we're really going to look deeper into this passage in to find out more. I'm going to pray before we start. Dear Father, we do thank you for speaking to us through your word. We thank you for meeting with us uh, as you promise when we gather together as your church. So Lord, we just pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. That you would help us to see you clearly and to, to listen to you and to, to be aware and to really know the grace that you have poured out on us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Not that long ago, I, I went and spoke at a church camp for another church. 
And uh, before the first session on the Friday night, uh, before anybody had, or if we'd met anybody else, they'd met me. I only knew one person from that church, and that was the pastor. Uh, a young lady come up to myself and Kim introduced herself uh, and she says, oh, I've got something for you. I just want you to let you know that I've been praying for you for this weekend. And here's a thank you gift for teaching us this weekend. Now, I was blown away for a couple of reasons. Firstly, that somebody would be praying for me before they even knew me, before they even met me. Somebody would actually pray for, for me. And secondly, that they would give me a thank you gift even before I've done anything. It's almost like they're praying for the weekend, praying for the teaching aspect. And it's almost like in confidence, I know my prayers are going to be answered. And I'm so confident that here's a thank you gift on the way. Beautiful little Bible verses that we can put on our fridge and just remember that weekend by. It was so encouraging. But it's an interesting feeling to be prayed for from other people, what they want to be... You, uh, they, want to pray for you for things about, not the things that you want to be prayed about. In fact, even here this morning, in fact, every Sunday morning, a group of people meet here at 8 o'clock and pray for this service. They pray for you uh, sitting in here. Now, you don't, probably don't know. You can join them if you want, 8 o'clock in one of the office rooms, uh, to pray with them. But pray for the service. Pray for each of us. Pray for all sorts of things in this service that, um, that are good for us. But again, we've been prayed for for things that... What are they praying for us? What do they want for us to learn, to know, to experience? What are those things? In fact, people have been praying for church for hundreds and even thousands of years. They've been praying for future generations of believers. Uh, what would they be praying for us? Because we might have our own wish list. Oh, I'd love prayer for work, family, all sorts of things. But what would they be praying for us? What do they see is so important that you must know, that you must experience, that, you, that is so important that they would be praying and committing to God, us even now? Well, in fact, we have one of those prayers. I'm not sure whether you picked that up in our Bible reading. The Apostle Paul is writing to not just the church at Ephesus, but a number of churches, to believers then. But in a sense, it's not exclusive for them at their time, but for believers of all time, even for us today. And he prays, uh, appraise a few things for them that we're going to, uh, to, to work out and discover. Because he uses some funny language in this prayer. He says, for this reason, he talks about him praying for you. I've not stopped giving thanks, remembering you in prayers. Picking up verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's a great prayer point, isn't it? We want to know him better. But then he tells us how this is going to happen. Verse 18. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's not that I want you to know him better. But it's not just know about him. You know, we're already partway through the letter and he's already talked a lot about God so it's not more than just more than I want you to know intellectually you know slotted away in your theological file this is what I know about God but I want you to know him better telling to know someone to experience them to walk beside them to have a relationship that's what Emily shared with us earlier this morning and this is, explains the language they use i pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that's a funny saying isn't it the eyes of your heart 
I'm not sure if you ever thought about having eyes in your heart. Does this uh, bring together a few different ideas? With eyes, we see things, we see evidence, we, uh, it gives us information, we can intellectually you know, work through that for our head knowledge. But it's the eyes of our heart. I want you to, to know it and experience. I want you to, to know what it means for you emotionally uh, and what this means for you as a person. It's more than head knowledge I'm praying for you, that you might know God. But what's he praying? That, that we might know and we might live out that we might know the hope to which he has called you to. What is that hope he's called us to? The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He's got a plan for us. He's got an inheritance. He says, I want you to know the hope you have, the certainty that you have, that this is going to happen. A little bit like the way that lady prayed for us. I'm so confident that I'm praying for you. I know it's going to happen. I'm going to give you a thank you gift anyway. See, God says, we have this inheritance. Paul says, I know that... I'm so confident you're going to get to that inheritance that you need to know what it is because it's yours. It's yours now, even though you're not there. So we have these riches, a glorious inheritance. You need to know what God has in store for you. And you need to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. I want you to see God's power at work. God's power that you can have confidence in. God's power that you can trust. See, I know, even as a Christian, many years under my belt now, uh, there's many ups and downs. And when I take my eyes off what God has planned for me, that uh, eternal inheritance, if I take my eyes off heaven, if I take my eyes off God himself, I'm just distracted. I'm tempted by other things in life. If I'm not aware of God's power at work in my life, God's power to guide me to that eternal inheritance, I'm just straying. I'm leading my own life my own way. So Paul says this is really important. That you might know what God has in store for you, this amazing inheritance, and you know the power that God has at work in you to get you there. You need to know these things. Great prayer points. But he doesn't leave us hanging. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us now? What does this look like? He starts to explain what the power of God looks like. It's the power to raise someone from the dead. He's not going to leave us uh, just... You know, guessing ourselves. So he says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand, not just raised him, but seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above the ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come forever. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Which, he, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. This whole idea of God raising up Jesus from the dead, his power shown, it's on display. And then to lift him up, to ascend into heaven, to put him at the right hand. Like This is an amazing picture of power. And it's something, if you've grown up in church, like me, that you kind of start to say it rattles off your tongue pretty easy and you kind of go, yeah, this is a story we hear every week. But we need to sit back and be amazed at the power at work, at what Jesus has done, at what God has done, the Father has done in raising Jesus from the dead. If you ever have this experience of go to a body viewing, you know, somebody has passed away, uh, someone you love, sometimes they'll offer a viewing of the body uh, that has passed away. I had that experience in my mid-twenties. My cousin, who I was very close to, was shot. And as a part of that healing process, the family thought it was helpful to put on, um, have opportunities to 
basically say goodbye to the body. Or I'm not sure what you expect when you go to that. You go into the morgue uh, and they've got a nice area they meet up with and uh, the mix of emotions that you go through in that time. So um, the body is there, it's laid out before you, uh, you know, all dressed up, all looking smart uh, and it's just sensory overload, you know, they've got the nice smells out, um, so you're not going to smell anything, uh, depending on how old the body is. Uh, you go, you can touch the body, you can hold their hand. You can give them a hug, in a sense. You can even kiss them on the cheek or the forehead. So I went and held my cousin's hand. And of course, he's just coming out of the fridge. They keep the body refrigerated, so it's going to be cold. But it's a different kind of cold. See, this is my cousin, who I knew, who we had lots of fun times with, uh, now I'm holding his hand, there's nothing there. I might say it's not even a pulse. There's no life there. It's empty. In fact, uh, I look at him and uh, think of all the good times and want to say goodbye to him, but it's not him. It's just a shell. It's just, you know, the, the person, uh, the, the body that was carrying him. But he's gone. It's dead, as it says. There's nothing, there's no pulse, there's no warmth. Uh, it, it's very cold at that time. And when we think of death, it is a lot like, that's it, that's why they put the body in the ground, because there's nothing left there. There's nothing left. It is uh, lifeless, self-explanatory, but it's not the person you know. But death is death. So when we think through what happened to Jesus, uh, we see him dying on a cross, the Romans were very good at executing people. Just to make sure Jesus was dead on the cross, they put a spear in his side. Yeah, he's dead. Uh, his two friends uh, were asked if they could pull the body down. Uh, so they did that, that that night. They pulled his body down, wrapped it up in burial clothes. And you can imagine the process of doing that. This is Jesus, the friend, Jesus they followed. But now it is that body, that lifeless, the, the coldness, the, the nothingness, emptiness. But they wrap up the body, they put herbs in the body as they did in that day, put it in the tomb, the burial tomb, put the stone over it. It's not the Jesus, alive Jesus, it's just a body. It's empty, empty Jesus, empty body. Even um, when the ladies come uh, in the following days, it was traditional then, they would come to the uh, tomb and they would put herbs just to stop the smell because once you're dead, you start decomposing straight away because the body's lifeless uh, so they come to put the herbs on jesus body what are they expecting are they expecting jesus going to talk to them jesus going to react to them but they're expecting to find a body that's breaking down it's just a dead body that they're going to put herbs to but to then go to the tomb see the tomb's empty and to see jesus walking around and jesus talking that god the father has breathed life into this empty, lifeless, cold body to breathe life into him, to come alive again. That's a miracle. Who can do that? No one can do that. But the Father God can flex his power, that the power of God at work, bringing something dead and lifeless back to life. God's done that in Jesus. God brought him back to life. Many people saw him. Many people, it wasn't just a zombie or a ghost. He says, look, touch my wounds. I've been healed. Look, I'm eating. I'm fully alive again. Remember that body you saw? All the blood drained out, gone cold. It was just an empty shell. God, the Father, has given it, uh, restored it to full life again. He's done that. 
It was amazing. And then not only that, it's the power of God lifts him up, ascends him back into heaven to be seated on his right side. It's interesting that they talk about uh, being seated on the right side because it is a position of authority. Uh, here's an example. We have Queen Elizabeth. Uh, who's on his, her left? It's Prince Philip. Now you kind of think, if something happened to Queen Elizabeth and she couldn't make a decision or do anything, who would be the next in charge? Well, surely Prince Philip, but no, he's on her left. The next person in charge is on her right, Prince Charles, because he's the next in line. It's always you know, your right-hand man. It's the one on the right is the one that's got a lot of power. Where God the Father says, I want Jesus sitting at my right side. This is important. A little detail in the story. So Jesus, at one stage, he's dead. He's in a tomb. He hasn't even got the authority to rule over the worms or the flies inside his tomb. It's dead. Now God has breathed life into him. Not only life to restore him physically, but life to restore him to be ruler over heaven and earth. This is the power of God at work. This is a power of God that's showing his mighty strength. Who can do that? Who can do it? It's Take a step back out of our Christian bubble and go, what is, does his story really saying? I'm not sure whether you know. There's a whole group of people that walk around going, Elvis is still alive. Elvis, he's alive. We see him everywhere. There's all these, you Google it and there's all these people uh, with photos thinking they know what Elvis looks like now. But what if the people who saw him dead said, yes, his body is lifeless, it's cold, it's empty, it's just a shell. They buried him. And they said, no, we've seen Elvis alive. What if he did come alive? What if he was alive today? And not only just alive as a person, what if he became the most powerful ruler over all the earth? Well, at least uh, humanly speaking a.k.a. maybe Donald Trump, for example. Yeah, is it possible that Elvis is truly alive and taking the form of Donald Trump? It's ludicrous. We laugh at it. It's like, that would never happen. It's a joke. It's comical. It's not right. But yet it's this sort of stuff that what God the Father has done. We need to take a step back and be amazed at that. The power of God at work to take somebody from the grave dead, lifeless, their bodies decomposing, cannot help themselves, that the Father would lift them out of the grave, restore them not only physically, but then put them in a position to rule over heaven and earth, far above all the authorities. That's the power of God. God the Father. Paul says you need to look at this. You need to understand it. Don't just run over it too quickly because this is important because it shapes us who we are. Because this same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's at work in us. He goes on to talk about how it's raising us from the dead as well. How, how we, need, uh, we need work. We need God's power at work in our lives. Now I should say, uh, this next, starting chapter 2, it is a bit offensive. So I'll give a bit of a warning because we have become the... The cotton wool generation, the, the bubble wrap generation, we don't like things being offensive or uh, discouraging. We like to build each other up. We like to talk positively. Don't tear anybody down. Yeah, even when we go to... We just finished our sporting season and all the kids getting their sporting awards. It's not who's the best team, who won the comp that's going to get the trophy. No, everybody gets a trophy because if we have a winner, that means 
there's a loser and we don't want to tell people they've lost. Or we have the best and fairest, that means there's somebody that's not the best or fairest. We don't want to discourage them that way. So we give everybody trophies. Uh, even when we do exams and uh, get critiqued and marked, we're not allowed to have crosses on our papers anymore because that's a bit discouraging, especially using a red pen. Red indicates that we're being judged or you know, being critical of us and we don't like that sort of thing. Well, we hit chapter two and Paul's like going, you know what, I've got my red pen out and I'm going to go through your life. And I'm not, not afraid to put ticks. I'm not afraid to do crosses. But here's how it's going down. Be prepared for what he says. He says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He's not going, here's your report card, now, good effort, try a bit harder, maybe easy to be distracted, stay focused, or you've got potential, you just need to apply yourself. He's going, no, when we look at ourselves, we're dead, lifeless, cold. Spiritually, he's talking about, because we're still here, uh, physically, we'll face this one day, but this is spiritually, he's saying, we're nothing but an empty shell. We've got nothing to offer God. We can't help ourselves even. But he's not just pointing the finger at everybody else. He's including himself into it, in, in it. He says, all of us, he said, also lived among them. He says, I was there too. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was like the super religious guy of his day. You know, the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. If they did anything, memorized verses, taught um, scripture, he did it. He was the good guy. He thought he was living life going, tick, 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 tick. God's pleased with me. I've got front row seats with God. But then it was pointed out to him by Jesus himself, look, you're not right with God. You actually need to trust in me. So even Paul himself is going, look, I was there too. In fact, all my religious nature, that was still even feeding the cravings of his flesh. That was his wants, his desires, helping his status and his pride. But we do the same thing. We follow our nature. Instead of having our face to God and following God and living for eternal things, we just get distracted. And it's Satan that's talking about the spirit of the air who's, who's uh, guiding us in a different direction. We kind of get drawn in his direction. We start following our wants, our desires, and the way we want to see life worked out. And before we know it, we've left God behind. That's offensive to God. Because we need to be following him and worshipping him and facing him. But yet we've gone our own way, following Satan's lead in his temptations. He says, this is bad. In fact, because you've gone down this path, you are dead to God spiritually. You've got nothing to offer. You're cold, you're lifeless, you're decomposing because you're living life without him. So what's the answer? Well, it's a good thing Paul says, which you've just gone over, we follow the God that does miracles, that God has the power to raise the dead. So he goes on. But because of his great love for us, God, God the Father, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
saying when we couldn't help ourselves, when we couldn't, we're in this position of death, we're decomposing, we're just an empty shell, we can't even put up our hand to say, God, I need help. We're that helpless. When I saw my cousin lying on that table, he didn't put up his hand, hey, Ross, how are you going? It's good to have this opportunity to say goodbye to you. He didn't do that because it was dead. It was an empty shell. This is what we're like in sin. That we're so helpless, we can't turn around and say, God, I need your help. Come to me now. We are that dead. So why would God save me? Why would God reach out to me? I can see why God would raise Jesus from the dead, because Jesus was good. But if I'm as bad as what Paul just told me, why would God raise me? Give me life. Have that same power that he raised Jesus work in me when I'm far, far from him. We've given a clue in these verses. Look at the words that it describes God, because it's not about me and my potential, that God wants me on his team, but it's all about God. His great love for us. It's all about him and his love for us. God who is rich in mercy. That's his character. He wants to bless. He wants to reach out and help. God made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by his grace you have been saved. It's amazing love, this amazing mercy, this amazing grace. It's just enormous, he says, that he would reach out to us when we're in death and give us life. But this is a God with the power to do it, the power to raise the dead. And he can do that for us. And he does do that for us. And this is what he goes on to say. That if we're not living with with God, facing him, we're in death. But if we are facing him, God is doing amazing work in our lives. He's not only given us his power... To revive us, uh, it will be physically one day when we're physically raised from the dead, but spiritually to wake us up and give us life, but not only life to just hang out here and now I'm kind of changed. We might have a new label, I'm a Christian now. But he's called us to something much greater. His power is much, much greater. It just gets bigger and bigger when we understand this grace. You might remember, oh, you might have seen the show... Um, uh, look Me in the Eye, it's been on TV just recently with SBS, that they get two people together that's had conflict, they sit them down, no words, three minutes, they're to stare at each other, stare at each other in their uh, look in each other's eyes. And it's an opportunity where, with no words, it's high emotion, can't watch a TV show without a tissue box, but they show with their eyes and emotion how much they've been hurt, I've been hurt. You've hurt me a lot. I've got scars. I've got a, thing, a lot of things to, walk, to work through. And sometimes the face with their tears show, and I want to work through it. I love you. I want to reach out to you. Sometimes that is said as well. But if we were to sit down with God, we're in this position of death where we've offended God so much where we could sit down with God and God could just say, look, you've hurt me. You've abandoned me. You, you've gone the other direction instead of following me or worshipping me. But what Paul's saying here through this, because of his amazing grace, his amazing mercy, his amazing love for us, it's like we just sit down in the seat and he goes, I'm not waiting three minutes for this. I just want to give you a hug. I just want to welcome you home. I just want to pour out my love on your life. I'm not waiting three minutes to to let you sweat it out. Do I love you? I want to tell you now. And he does by bringing us from death, bringing us into life. This is what he does. 
in this uh, high uh, pouring out of love and pouring out of reaching out for us, the love just gets bigger and bigger. I like the way Emily put it, and I thank thanks to Emily for pouring out. Just being brutally honest out here that sometimes life is hard, the walk is hard, we always need encouragement and all that. But it's only because of God's love for us that gets us through. It's only because of we see God's power that has changed us, transformed us. We're going to fail. We're always going to let him down. We're always going to stumble and make bad choices. But because his love is so endless, his grace is so abounding, his mercy is just poured out, that we're all we're beside him, welcome home. And this is where his love gets even bigger. It's not just the here and now that God changes us and gives us life. He calls us to something greater. He says in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, this is what he's got planned for us. That he seats us up with Christ, that, we might, that he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. I'm not sure what your view of heaven is, your idea of heaven, but when I think of heaven, God's house, you know, like a nice big palace, I'd be happy just to be a servant in the house. You know, I'd be happy just to you know, have the odd, you know, gee, I got near Jesus today, but I'm happy you know, doing the dishes and doing the cleaning and doing things because like, oh, I'm there. At least I'm there. But God is saying, no, I don't want you just here. You're not a servant. I'm calling you to sit with me. Sit beside Jesus. Be with me here. You're a part of the family. You're a part of the household. He's calling us to be. Because of his grace, because of his mercy. It's not because we deserve it, because we were dead. But now in his power, the same power who raised Jesus, that raised Jesus, the same power that put Jesus seated at God's right hand, is the same power that saves us when we're spiritually dead, the same power that's going to give us life and lift us up to be seated beside Jesus. He says, I've got the seat. I've got it here ready for you. It's got your name on it. I'm so confident. I know you're not here, he says, because we're here, which is good we're here, but unfortunately we're not there yet. But it's this kind of... We've got it now. This is the language he's using. It's yours. Even though we're not sitting in it yet, he's so confident you're going to make it. How can he be so confident? It's my question. Because I know I'm still failing. How can he be so confident that he says he's got that waiting for me? That he says, I've got this plan mapped out for you? Because he has this phrase that he uses, in Christ. It keeps coming up all the time. It's in Christ that you're there. It's in Christ that you are alive. It's in Christ that you have new life. So because it's in Christ, God's not looking at us saying we're deserving, that we've got potential, that we need to be on his team. He's saying because of what Jesus has done, pouring out his love at the cross, that he has changed us. See, it's this picture of the cross where Jesus himself comes down to us. Jesus himself lives the perfect life as a man. So he's facing God, honours God in everything, says no to Satan. Satan tries to tempt him. We have that story, the 40 days. Satan says, no, just go away. I'm glorifying God the Father. I'm living for the Father. He always lives for the Father, always honours the Father, does everything right. He deserves to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. And what's humanity doing? We're going, well, actually, I'm a bit over God. I've got my own choices, my own life direction. I've got my own things that I want to do in life. And Satan's just luring us with big carrots away from him. We're deserving of death. But yet Jesus, when he came, he came, even though he deserved life, he said, look, 
Let me take that death. Let me be that empty shell. Let me be that lifeless body there on the bench. And that's what he does going to the cross. He dies the death we deserve, and we did deserve it. He dies that death for us. That's what's going on at the cross. The wrath, of, the wrath poured out onto him. And we can see it there as you read the story. Everybody is pouring out their wrath at him. Everybody was angry at him. The Jews, which was his people, wanted him dead. They were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. The Romans, great at executions, got the whips. They flogged him. They mocked him. They nailed him up to the cross. Just to be sure, the spear in the side. They weren't going to tolerate him. They punished him as well. What were his friends doing? They weren't to be seen. They got chicken and ran away. They denied him. He was abandoned to taken away from the land of the living, is how Isaiah describes it. That's what he did because that's what our future was. That's what we deserve. But in return, what he does for us, he's saying, look, now when my father sees you, if you're in Christ, so if we die that death with him, die to our old selves, so now we're raised up with him in new life, with his power of God, we are raised to life. Our old self is gone, it's dead. And we've been raised to him. So in Christ, when we trust him, when we trust him alone with our life, He says, no, let me bring you home. So when the Father sees us, he sees us in Christ. So in Christ, he saw Jesus as good and perfect and holy. And now when he sees us in Christ, he sees us as good and perfect and holy, that he accepts us. It's the great exchange that's going on here. That's how God pours out his love, his mercy and his grace, giving you this new life, if we're in Christ. Because it's through Jesus who does it. It's amazing grace. To see God's power at work that raised Jesus from the dead, something at Easter, we just celebrate, we move through very quickly, raised him from the dead, lifted him up to his right hand. But he's the same work at us in our spirit. I don't know whether we take this for granted. We can be spiritual people. But unless we've got Jesus, we're spiritually dead. We've got nothing. But if you're following Jesus... There's something going on in your heart that nobody else has got. If they're not in Christ, God has woken you. God has given you life because of Christ, because of what he's done. So we need to trust in him. If you're here today, I hope this comes through really clearly. Christians don't look down on anybody else because we know we deserve that death. And we told pretty bluntly with the red pen, with the cross, we deserve it. But it's only because of Jesus in Christ that we're any different from anybody else. So you need to trust Christ with your life to have life. But what does it mean when you're a Christian now? Is this just more information we just slot away in our head? How is this you know, opening the eyes of our heart? How does this change me? How does this change tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? What does it mean that I'm now in Christ and I have new life? I'm seated with him in heaven How does that work out? Well, Paul goes on to explain. He says uh, from verse 8, For it is by, by grace you have been saved through faith. This whole faith in Christ, trust him. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. We get that right. It's only from God. Verse 9, it's not by works so that no one can boast. So it's not about me and my boasting. But verse 10 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We kind of go, well, hang on, you just told me I didn't have to do anything. Now it's talking about good works. But what it's talking about there is we're no longer following uh, Satan anymore and going our own direction. We're actually facing God now. We're actually living for him. This is the path he's prepared for us. He's got the throne. He's got the seat beside him, beside Christ in heaven waiting for us. So he says, now he's got this pathway laid out for us. Now live this way. Live for him, glorifying him. Turn your back on Satan now and live for him, glorifying him. That's a big turnaround, a big shift. That's what it means to be alive in Christ because it's going to test all sorts of things in your life. But to trust him, trust in the power that raised Jesus from the dead, you have that power at work in your life that he's invested you to live and walk in that way. So it changes who we are now. We're not living for the here and now. We're not living for tomorrow. You know, the only live once, the YOLO type comments. No, we're actually living with a greater goal in mind. I want to be sitting there with Christ. God has a confidence in me, so much so he's put my name on the seat. I need to live like I'm a child of God and that I'm walking towards that. The second thing that sort of covers this whole passage, it's not just... Uses head knowledge, but to realise God's amazing love for you, that he would do that. We use words like grace and mercy and love. Paul, Paul says it's incomparable. He says, I try to use illustrations or stories. I try and use illustrations and stories to, to show you the size of God's grace, but they always fall short. It's incomparable, his grace and his love for us. But this is what God's love is like for you. And Paul's saying, you need to stop and think about it. I want the eyes of your heart to know this, to see it, to experience it. And I think going through these verses is really helpful to stop and think. We're going to sing a new song in just a moment. Well, it's a new song that we're singing here at Southside. Uh, It's called Good, Good Father. And it's a song that forces us to stop and think about our Father God and his amazing love for us. It does two things. It helps us talk, th- reflect on everything we've been talking about this morning. We've got a good, good Father that loves us, poured out his love for us. We're not going to say that really quickly and move on. We're going to think about that. And who am I then? Well, I'm a child of his. I'm the one that he loves. You know, out of all the world... God's poured his power, the same power he poured out on Jesus, poured out on my life and given me a life, given me a future, given me something to live for. And we're going to reflect on who you are in the eyes of God as well. This song is a little bit different tempo to what we normally do because often we talk about uh, the story of the cross or what God has done, um, where this has got less words. It's less words intentionally because it's more reflective. We want us to think about as a prayer to God, you're a good, good father. I'm going to stop and think about that. So we're going to, in the song, you might notice this is a bit more repetitive than a lot of the songs we do, but it also reminds us who I am, that I'm loved by him. And I need to stop and think about that because often I feel abandoned, I feel lonely, and I feel hard done by. But no, point me back to scripture, point me back to Jesus and the cross, that I am a child of his. We're going to sing that in a few moments, and I pray that uh, it will be a time of reflection for us, that I'm going to trust in him because of his amazing love for me. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you for just our time this morning that we can sit in the quietness, hearing the pitter-patter of rain, but just reflect on who you are. Lord, that you would reach out to us, even though we were dead, we were lifeless, we were empty and cold. 
that spiritually we had nothing to offer. But you poured out your love upon us through sending your son Jesus to give us life. That not just life for the here and now, but life eternal. That spiritually we can enjoy you, that we can know you. And Lord, we also want to praise you for having our life mapped out, that you've got a plan for us which includes eternity in your household to be sitting with you. And that you have such great confidence, not so much in us, but the work of Jesus, that we will make it when we're in Christ. So Lord, let us cling to being in Christ. Let us cling to the cross and all the love that you poured out upon us through that amazing act of love. And Lord, let us know your love even when we're doubting. Even now when life's hard, we're struggling, we're tempted to take our eyes off you. Help us to always know your amazing love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.